Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again. Sunday nights at 6 o'clock, your very favorite radio show, the KWUR Theater of the Air. It's my favorite radio show. Mine also. I think it's because we're on it. Starring your two favorite hosts, David Reinstrom. And David Brunel Brutman. Hi. What up? Welcome to the show today. Uh, our theme. <laughs> Welcome to our show. Today's Welcome theme to the show is testosterone deficiency and how it affects changes in a human being's voice. No, today's theme, in all honesty, <laughs> uh, hormonal changes aside, uh, or hormonal discrepancies aside, is Egypt. Uh, tonight's theme is ancient Egypt and the mysteries thereof. Yes, indeed. And uh, we we got some good mysteries, yeah. some good, some very good ancient Egyptian mysteries for you this hour. Uh, we got we got mummies, mm-hmm. we got pyramids, check. We got sand, check, check. We got sand, more sand. For for as long as uh, <laughs> for the last three hundred years, the West has plundered antiquity. Uh, well, specifically, well, well, yeah, yeah, three hundred years or so. I mean, people have been. I, I feel like three hundred to five hundred years. People I feel have like been, the European fascination with Egyptology starts around the time of Napoleon. Not, not even before. I feel like in Shakespeare's time, people were eating um, powdered mummified flesh. Really? Yeah. No, I read this whole thing about. Uh, oh, I, forget. I thought that didn't start until the eighteen hundreds. No, no, because uh, Shakespeare makes reference to mummers. Right, which were people that sold uh, mummy flesh. I read about this in Mary Roach's book, um, Stiff, which is all about cadavers. Oh, God. Oh, no, it was so cool. <laughs> and so there was this whole long section about, about what she called anthropophagy, right, the eating of humans. We might have talked about this before. Have we talked about this we, before? We talked about anthropophagy last week. Yes, okay, so continuing with anthropophagy. Um, <laughs> but that time it was in reference to cannibalism. Right, so so for medicine, for medicinal purposes, people used to take... Medurpuses? Medurpuses. For medurpuses, um, usually people in, like, Britain and France uh, in the 16th century would take the mummified corpses uh, of the Egyptian dead... And they ground it into powder. Grind them into powder. a powder and, and take it as, like, a tincture. Yeah, yeah. You've, I, you've I, heard of that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I just didn't realize it started that early. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it started around like like the 1550s. Interesting. I could be wrong. Um, but that's that's what I recall reading. The great thing too, well, debatably great, is that <laughs> is that this this cottage this cottage industry sprung up in England, right? Because there were not enough, you know, there were not enough mummified corpses that were coming in from the plunder of Egypt. To to satisfy the demand. Wait, wait. are you telling for, me? Yeah. Are, are you telling me that they cut additives into their powdered mummy? Oh, no, that's a little bit too modern. Well, yes, they did. They would cut like things like alum and sand and ash, but but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking they would um, speed mummify the recently um, the English recent dead. Oh, I thought I thought you were going to say that they just like gave you some powder and said, yeah, this is mummy. Snicker, snicker. Well, there was that. Yes. Um, not only would they cut cut mummy with additives, but they would also make non. You know, they would make local mummy. Why didn't we? Why didn't we make? Uh, <laughs> why didn't we make any sketches about shady, <laughs> shady mummy crack dealers? <laughs> Why? Why didn't that occur to us? I don't know. I don't know. 
Uh, but yeah, we have some great offerings from the Improv uh, Theater of the Air tonight. We, we do. We have an all new. Yeah, I, this is great. I think this is the first. The first of this season. The first. Uh, yeah, the first completely new sketch that we've played this season. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna hear it. Yeah. Coming up now. Right now. Yeah. Right, go let's ahead. Let's do it. Let's do it. So here's the KOR Improv Theater of the Air presenting the Schnorrer of Giza. The Valley of Kings, Egypt, 1921. Wiggins? Wiggins, come here. Bring the light. Yes, yes, I'm here, Dr. Motherby. I'm here. Bring the light. I need the light. Got it right here. Wiggins, I believe I've, I've found something absolutely wonderful. It's ancient graffiti, Wiggins. My goodness. What does it say? It's a slave diary, Wiggins, of a young man building a pyramid. If my knowledge of hieroglyphics is correct, the, the man who wrote this record is Philip Moskowitz. Mm, common. Uh, day 433. Oi, Gavalt, what a long, what long, a long, long, long vishlug in a day it's been. Ezekiel and I were pulling rocks to the construction site. All right, on two. One, One two, One, two, and two, and two. Oh, this is, you know. My mother told me she wanted me to go to embalmer school, but I said, no, I didn't want to be an embalmer. You and your embalmer school? Let me tell you, my sinuses are flaring up right now from all this sand. Well, you know, there's always going to be sand. Well, you're never not going to. You've bad. had I sinus mean, problems going since to we the moved best to the ENT and Sinai here, and I got to tell you, he's not really doing much for me. My back. He's more is broken in oh, more places my than the reed that my, my father used to beat me to sleep with every night. Oh my god, you always bring that up. Such surus in my think... family. What are the two of you doing over there? Duh, we were just we pulling, pulling rocks, rocks pulling... over here. Silence! Yep. Clearly not very well. I have a new task for you two. Well, I mean, a I have a back task. issue. I'm, I was only allowed to do one task. Silence! I, was told... I do not care about your ailments. Ow! I have a new task for you idiots. Oh, my mother told me I was only good at one thing, pulling rocks. I, so I took an aptitude that's all test. I can do. I'm actually better suited for upper He's... management. Enough! You must clean the royal crocodiles. In what se- do you mean like like the crocodile is and, like and some fancy word for a carriage? Or and something? I don't even know if I'm allowed to do that. Ow! Silence! Ow! You must clean their teeth. We can do that. With your teeth. Oh, we can't do that. No, I can't do that. Ow! Also, ow! Ezekiel and I found ourselves in the crocodile pits. And with great trepidation, we began our task. <laughs> Ezekiel, Ezekiel, take your head out of there, Ezekiel. I was just thinking, Ezekiel, that we could get out of here. Yeah, I know this guy Moses. He's okay. uh, he's pretty high up in the Pharaoh's household. And oh, everything. oh, okay. A politician is going to get us out of this mess. You well, think? you know, he's not all bad. I mean, he's promising a lot of things. He's going to split the Red Sea. Okay. He's going to turn this staff into a snake, okay. and he's going to he's going to make it rain locusts. Let and me all stop this you stuff. right there. How is he on Israel? He's foreign. Well, well, all right, Mr. Smart Alec. How, how are we going to get in touch with this Moses fellow instead of playing gator golf here with our faces? I will tell you how. I'll tell you how. Okay, uh, are you all packed? Uh, I, I think so. Uh, um, Jeez, did you bring your socks? Did you bring your socks? Which socks? The blue ones with the purple stripes. I think so. All right, good. If, if I packed them at the very bottom... Oh, jeez. Well, let me Hold go on. check. Okay, I'm gonna go you go check. check. I'm going to check. 
Oh, here they are. Never mind. Sorry, here they are. Don't forget the pants. Yes. Don't forget the microwave. I got the microwave. Don't forget the toaster. Uh, Don't forget the Ferrari. Okay. Bring everything. Uh, I'm not sure if the Ferrari was going to fit, so I sold it. Good idea. How much? I got I got these uh, flatbreads. They're very tasty. They're very crunchy here. Hold on. Let me try one. Mmm. You know what? This would taste great with Haroset. My friend Matt sold it to me. It's a pizza that my friend Matt made. He calls it Matza. That's good. Yeah, you Tasty. like that? I, I think it's a coup that we got the rights to this thing. Oh, my God. My pocket sundial. Oh, jeez. You're late. You're late. We're late. We're both late. I know. What are we going to do? We got to run. Let's he- run. Here, take my valise. Thank you. The exodus, the cloud of dust, it's moving ahead of us. There it is, there it is. Uh, except I just can't, I think, I feel like, I think I left the garage door open. You always say this. Every time we leave the house, you're like, I left something. Listen, what is, if, what's if gonna I happen? Left it, if I left it open, a raccoon might get in. You wanna go home? You wanna All go right, home? Let's, let's turn around, let's, let's go home. I think it's a good idea. Garage door I open. think it's a good idea. Fine. It's closed. It's closed. It's closed, yeah. It's closed. We missed the exodus because of your misgivings. It's not a big deal. About... It. We should... Do, we could go right now. We could go. Oh, sure. Sure, because they're not going to be looking for us now because there's so many won't. Jews left I in this country. I guarantee they won't, okay? 99.78% of their, of their workforce is missing. So you're saying that we're the point two two? Because I don't want to be the point two two. Well, you are the point two two. You two slaves, get back to work. You are now reassigned to cleaning duty. Polish the Sphinx with your tongue. Oi! Oi! Gewalt. And so I decided to put my non-smilus to stylus and carve this missive of unhappiness into the walls of the tomb I was constructing. What a miserable life I have led. Signed... Philip Moskowitz and Carmel. My God, Wiggins. This will make us insanely rich. We shall go back and we shall be the toast of the London Historical Society. Wiggins? Wiggins? Oi. Oi. Oh, my God. A mummy. Ah, I can't see. There's toilet paper all over my eyes. You know how dry I am. I need moisturizer. They don't give you any of the moisturizer when they wrap you up in this toilet paper. I should sue you. You're listening to the KWUR Theater of the Air here on KWUR Clayton, 90.3 FM. We'll be right back.
Did you know that car crashes are the number one cause of teen deaths and that half of all teens that die die in a car crash? So when you are with a friend and they are driving recklessly, say something. Say something witty like, you don't want to visit from the windshield fairy. My God. You don't want to visit from the windshield fairy. Or maybe try a little sarcasm like, forgot where the brakes are, chief. Or you could just be straightforward with your friend and tell them to slow down or stop texting. After all, it could save your life. This has been a public service message from the Ad Council and speakuporelse.com. And this is the Kayworth Theater of the Air. Here on KWUR 90.3 FM, Clayton. Streaming online at www.kwur.com. We are, of course, your lovely hosts. Hi! And this week... <laughs> I don't know what that came, I don't we know where that came from. We are making very strange noises into the microphone. Hi-o! Can I be like uh, your Ed McMahon? Uh, wait, what does Ed McMahon do? I, I don't even know. <laughs> is he just? Does he just laugh? Yeah, and hand out checks. Well, well, I mean, like if you were Johnny Carson, I would laugh at all of your jokes. What, I, was that his official function? He was the wingman. Yeah, I mean, you're you're at the board, and he was just the he was just the sort of the I don't like this actually because he was kind of like big and dumb, and he was like a comic <laughs> foil. Okay, so you can be... I'll be Johnny Carson. You can be You can be Ed McMahon. I don't so, want to be Ed McMahon. I, I am... I don't want to laugh at your jokes. None of them are funny. <gasps> How could you Zing. say that? How could you say that to me? Because I'm, I'm mean. You're a butt. I'm really cruel. This week on the K-Worth Theater of the Air, we have an ancient Egypt-themed show. I'm not letting you share any more of my powdered mummy crack. And we were talking earlier about powdered mummies, <laughs> which and how people used to. Which I I believe I have substantial reason to believe people did not snort, but maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. Maybe. And <sighs> and um, I lost my train of thought. Snorting mummies. Snorting mummies. So we were talking about that. And then we played uh, an all-new sketch, which was very exciting. It's true. And uh, now we've got other stuff. Yeah, the time has come, the walrus said. I think it's time for us to uh, go ahead with our Monsoon Season Chronicles. So for those of you that are not in the know, um, last week we debuted these mysterious recordings that came to us from uh, this professor that Dave met this summer. Yeah, uh fellow by the name of Dr. Bill Farber. Yeah, from Seagrove Community College. And as he will explain, yeah. uh, as he will explain, once you once we begin playing the recordings, he discovered uh, these mysterious recordings uh, washed up on the beach, and he sent them to us to play on air and get this very strange story out to the world. It's part of this information drive we're doing, but you'll, you'll see. Bill will tell you. But as we, uh, as we said in the message we sent out earlier today, uh, if you want to contact Dr. Farber, you may do so at drbfarber at gmail.com. Again, that's drbfarber, F-A-R-B-E-R, at gmail.com. Right. But let's give you a reason to want to contact exactly. Dr. Bill Farber as we play the next installment of what we're calling the Monsoon Season Chronicles. Enjoy. December 2006. Three young journalists, Dave, David, and Alex, are shipwrecked on assignment. They awake on the shores of a haunted isle, deep in the Caribbean. 
March 2008. Two steel crates of tapes wash ashore in Seagrove, New Jersey. The recordings describe the journalist's attempt to escape the ghost-infested island. My name is Dr. Bill Farber. I've made it my mission to unravel the mysteries of these tapes and find out what happened to those three journalists. I am releasing these recordings to the public as an appeal for information. If you are listening and know anything about these journalists, please contact me. I present you now with my unedited evidence, The Monsoon Season Chronicles. Are they friendly? What, the strings? No, not the strings. The people riding over that sand dune. They can't be friendly. People don't just pop out of the desert like gophers. We did. I mean normal people. Should we run, or do we talk to them? They're on camels. We can't outrun camels. They're getting closer. Okay, uh, stand and look dignified. Why? Emily Post says first impressions are very important. We must choose our words carefully. Their heads... Their heads are animal heads. That one's a jackal. And that one's a falcon. And that one is a crocodile. It must be some kind of crazy desert knockout gas mirage. No, I'm pretty sure they've actually got animal heads instead of people heads. Just act natural. Hello, normal-faced citizens. That was not what I meant by natural. (laughs) Excuse my friend. They dropped him on his face when he was an animal head. Baby... I mean baby. Baby head face. Octana. Who are you, strange-headed ones? A uh, better question is, who are you? Strange-headed ones. Yes, thank you, Dave. I don't see how that's a better question than my question. It's technically the same question. I am Ralph Common, the Jackal, and these are my associates. General Manatin, the Crocodile, and Dolores Shepsut, the Falcon. I am David Common, the journalist, and these are my associates. David Raman, the journalist, and Alexandra Soros, the dinosaur pirate queen. Oh, come on. Very good. We will enslave you now. Enslave what? The pharaoh has ordered that should any of his subjects come across three people whose faces are not cows or ravens or any other beast, they are to be enslaved on sight. Look, my head is a cat. You're just holding up two fingers on top of your head. No, I'm not. Yes. Yes, I'm almost certain you are. Give it up, David. But why would your pharaoh order us enslaved? We need laborers to construct pyramids. We'll be tying you up now. Ow! He's being tied up. Hands off, Geargold! Quiet, slave! For 40 days and 40 nights, they trekked across the desert. Who's talking? I don't know. I'm in a burlap sack. Until finally, they reached the glorious city of Cairo, Thebes, Luxoropolis. Could you repeat that? No. Make way for the Pharaoh's emissary. Clear the streets.
Kneel, pale-countenanced worms. Kneel before the all-powerful Pharaoh and her highness, the Queen. The Queen's a cow. Ow! Buy it before the Queen. Oh, thank you, Ralph von Kamut. I love it when you bring me slaves. Is there anything else you'd want to show me? Um, like what? Nothing. Take these slaves to the rock pits. We must have that pyramid finished tonight. Tonight? Silence before the queen. Ralph Ankamun, issue these slaves their unnecessarily skimpy loincloths. Just a loincloth? You get an uncomfortable leather sports bra. Now off with you. Man, the pharaoh isn't much of a talker. Yeah, but did you see the way he was looking at us? Weird little vulture-looking guy. Dude, his wife is creepy. Quiet in the ranks. Here are the blueprints. Finish by sundown, or we hit you with sticks. Uh, the plans say that the pyramid will only be about five feet high. Yes, these are cat houses. Or are cats. What? You keep cats as pets? I saw, like, 20 cat-headed people on the way over here. Isn't that, like, weird to you? Weird? Weird how? I... I mean, they've got cat heads, and they keep pet cats. I'm not following you at all here. Look, shut up and get to work. Actually looks kind of good. Did anyone hear that? Quiet! Here comes the queen. Hello, glistening, sweaty slaves. I have another task for you. Uh... The pharaoh has had a curious dream. You must interpret it for him. We can't interpret dreams? All slaves can interpret dreams. Follow me back to the palace. Actually, I'll follow you. The view is better. Pharaoh, here are the dreamy slaves. I mean, dream interpreting slaves. Excellent, my most monogamous and faithful queen. Yeah, whatever. Slaves, last night I experienced a disturbing dream. I was on my palace balcony, addressing my faithful subjects. And off in the distance, I saw seven thin cows devouring seven fat cows. And then I looked down and I was stark naked in front of everyone. I was so embarrassed. What does it mean? Whisper, whisper, huddle, 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 whisper, whisper, whisper. 
Well, okay, okay. Okay, as of, no, okay you tell her. If you yeah, go yeah, no, two I'm steps gonna... left in the tunnel. Yeah, no, she's yeah, right. right. Your wife's hitting on everyone in the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, basically. What? Lies! You have interpreted my dream incorrectly. I don't know if that's fair. It's a pretty subjective process. Silence! For your insolence, you are hereby sentenced to clean up the hairballs of all the kingdom's cat-headed people for the rest of eternity! No! I demand a fair trial! Your slaves! Me not sentencing you to death is a fair trial. Your judicial... Your jujitsu system sucks! Away with you! This is awful. Here, put it in the basket. What are we supposed to do with them? Do what any responsible waste management crew would do. Throw it in the river. Right, you're on airball duty too. Off with you. Uh, oh. oh, gods, not again. So, um, you're the new guys, eh? E- yep, that's us. Pleased to meet you. I'm Brian Hotep, the badger, court jester. Well, former court jester. What are you on hairball duty for? Oh, I told a bad joke. This isn't the first time. What was the joke? What's orange and sounds like a parrot? I don't know. What? A carrot! Okay. Take a hairball basket, Brian. Down to the river, then. Does anyone see that? Oh, what? Down by the rushes? Yeah, what is that? Oh, probably babies and baskets. They're always washing up on the shores of the river. Kind of a nuisance, really. Blocks boat traffic in the spring. Hey... Where does the river go? Back out to sea, I suppose. Say, Brian. Yes, Alex. Don't suppose you've ever wanted to, uh, see the world. Well, now that you mention it, taking some of these babies out of their baskets and then using the empty ones as boats might be a pretty good way for us to escape. Brian, I like you. Okay, some of you babies are going to have to double up, okay? Okay. Everyone comfy? This basket is tiny. And shove off. So, it's a good job you lot escaped when you did. Why is that, Brian? Oh, well, that mysterious woman asked the pharaoh to hold on to you until she got back. What mysterious woman? Oh, the one that wants to kill you. You're listening to KWUR 90.3 FM, Clayton. This is the KWUR Theater of the Air, and we'll be right back. Oh, oh, oh. They're falling down like a domino All the best are men by them Now they got the money 
Theater of the Air. This is where we are, in fact. I am David Reinstrom. My name is David Brunel Brutman. And you are listening to the Egyptological episode of Mystery and Wonder. <laughs> yeah, that's the actual title. We, we wrote that down and didn't just make it up on the spot right now as David was speaking. Right. No, this was part of the plan. I, I did not ad-lib that. At all. In the slightest. No. Remotely. No. How are you, David? I am good, David. Good. So we were talking. <laughs> we, we were talking during the break, and <laughs> David was saying, uh, it, "It seems as though, uh, based on the content that we have played this show, uh, the the total sum of our Egyptological knowledge is this book that you read uh, about mummy dust, <laughs> and and uh, a, a one afternoon in Sunday school, <laughs> <laughs> things that happened in Egypt, the, yes. slavery." Babies, pyramids, right. The end. And I, I would just like to. You're, I mean, but you're referring to the first sketch, though. Yes. Yes. Uh, the second sketch is real. Well, presumably. Yes. I mean, I, I'm talking about the our, our earlier conversations. Yeah. No, you're right. On Egypt and the improv sketch that we that we played before. Right. It seems. <laughs> it it seems like we have a very sort of specific knowledge. Of, <laughs> Of Egypt, and it's it's all from um, uh, uh, summaries of the Bible. <laughs> you can put that in your canopic jar and smoke it. So here's the thing, though. Huh. If, if you think about it, though, it's it's kind of a um, well, in a way, it's it's the losers writing the history mm-hmm. in this particular instance. Oh, watch it, Mister Abe Foxman of the Anti Defamation League will be down your throat faster than a coal winker's eye. I know, eye. I know. Coal well, miner's wink. Because wink in a coal miner's eye. Oh, God. Okay, okay. I flubbed that so bad. Broadly, <laughs> broadly, it's the winners writing the history. Right. Because the the Bible stands as a as a uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Testament. To the to the winners of history. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I, I mean, the the Bible being the Bible wins when it comes to history, but I'm not sure I agree with that at all. Well, no. What what I'm saying is, if you take a chronicle of ancient history, mm-hmm. right, and you take what people know, I'm not talking about facts. I'm talking about knowledge. Oh, like what people know about ancient history in general, 
Western society broadly is informed by right. biblical events. As opposed to being informed by like actual accounts of history written down by Egyptian scholars. Gotcha. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm getting. At. I see. Instead of being like, well, you know, in the in the New Kingdom, blah 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 happened. Right. We'll be like, oh We'll be like, so there were some slaves and they built some pyramids. Yeah. <laughs> that was almost a David Caruso. Yeah Won't be food again. Meet the new boss. And we don't have a clip anymore. No. Oh, well. We'll just have to keep that perpetually queued up. I think so. For the future. But uh, we we should start the next segment if we're going to – unless – because we don't want to run out of time. Okay. Well, the point – the entire point of what I was saying was I want to make the disclaimer to our our listening audience that we don't think that Egypt is just a bunch of slaves building pyramids and throwing babies in the river and – Turning into mummies. Our long and dangerous trek here was for nothing. Um. Is what we do not want you to think. Yes. Yeah, I was quoting from Pharaoh, the city building game by Sierra. Right. Um, so Stella Dallas is what we're going to play for you next, which was this, uh, <laughs> how do I explain this succinctly? This recording was from 1955. Stella Dallas is a novel and then a movie with uh, Barbara Stanwyck about uh, a woman who's uh, whose marriage goes to crap, and so she devotes herself wholeheartedly to making her daughter's relationship work. It's it's about sacrifice and love, um, and I think at the end, you know, she she goes and she lets her her daughter and her and her daughter's new husband go fly free and start their new lives, and she leaves them alone, and she's satisfied. So it's a family drama, right? It's a family drama. That was the that was the novel, and then that was the movie. And this was like 1933, um, and pretty much immediately after. Um, this group, these two writers bought the rights to the sequel uh, for a radio series. And so this is this is Stella Dallas, the sequel. It's just a long radio serial. And um, what they decided to do with the characters is instead of it being – it is a soap opera. It's one of the first soap operas and it ran for like 18 years. Um, and what, what it is, instead of just uh, – you know, just family dramas and, and, you know, sacrifice and love. Now Stella and her daughter Laurel and Laurel's husband Dick solve mysteries. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is what we call adaptation decay. And, and, and you, you will see uh, they're very – they're actually quite complicated stories. This is more – this one's more of a social mystery than like a murder because uh, there's a lot, there's blackmail, and there are so many characters. The it's beginning, almost, it's almost impossible to listen to this with a straight face. We want you to consider this as a funny thing. Pay close attention to the intro. Is all I'll say. Yeah. And uh, Ahmed is a sheik. That's that's important. He's a he's a sheik of he's a sheik of Arabi or some such. I'm sorry. That's such a ridiculous intro to something. Uh, so, so pay attention to the intro. Also, Ahmed is a sheik. Well, they don't say in the very beginning because they assume that you would know because this aired every this aired five days a week in these ten minute segments. So, without further ado, Stella Dallas. And now, Stella Dallas, the true-to-life sequel as written by us to the world-famous drama of mother love and sacrifice. In my beautiful memory. 
And now for our sequel to Stella Dallas. Stella Dallas is in New York with her daughter, Laurel, clearing up the mystery surrounding the theft of an Egyptian mummy. The mummy was stolen during a Washington Society reception given by Mrs. Grosvenor, the mother of Laurel's husband, Dick, for Sheikh Ahmed of Egypt. The circumstances all point to Stella being responsible for the theft, but she discovers the real truth, that posing as Ahmed is Ahmed's twin brother, Rashid who, with the help of a man named Jeff Kentrell, is trying to swindle Mrs. Grosvenor out of a large sum of money. Positive that Rashid's accomplice, Jeff Cantrell, is an acquaintance of her old friend, Ed Munn, Stella goes to Ed in New York, and in his flat, which Cantrell has forced Ed to lend him, she discovers the real Ahmed, a prisoner. While Cantrell is out, Stella rescues Ahmed, and they decide to hurry back to Washington to confront Rashid before Cantrell discovers Ahmed's escape and can warn Rashid that the game is up. Now a little later at the Pennsylvania Railroad Terminal in New York, Stella and Ahmed are about to board the Washington train. You're sure, Madame Dallas, that Laurel and Mr. Munn were not causes to miss our train to Washington? Oh, we still got a few minutes before the train leaves, Ahmed. It won't take Lolly and Ed long to send that wire to Dick. How long will we be on the train, Madame? A little over four hours. Oh, that's a long time. Well, we can only get to Washington before Cantrell finds out you've escaped and warns Rashid to skip town. We'll be able to catch Rashid and make him tell us where the missing Egyptian mummy is. I I can't understand why my twin brother should have stolen the mummy. Surely he, he knew it would be impossible to sell it or dispose of it in any way. Well, he stole it because he knew it would make Mrs. Grosvenor look awful silly. You see, she never was really interested in Egyptian history and mummies and all that. I suspected as much. She was trying to use you, Ahmed, and the mummy, to make a social sensation. So when the mummy disappeared right while she was giving it such a build-up, it started people laughing at her. But why should my brother Rashid want her to be ridiculed? Because of a little plan he had. A plan? Yes, and it was pretty clever, too. And here's the way he worked it. The day after the mummy was stolen... Rashid went to see Miss Grosvenor and told her the only way she could save herself from being the laughing stock of Washington was to give him a lot of money so that he could organize an expedition to go to Egypt and dig up an ancient tomb he said he knew about. My brother wanted to send an expedition to Egypt to dig up a tomb? Yeah. That was one of the things that made me suspicious of him on it. I knew how dead set you were against digging up those old graves in Egypt, and I couldn't imagine you changing your mind so quick. Why, of course not. And Mrs. Grosvenor, did she give him the money? No, she hasn't yet. But she's promised to as soon as she gets the mummy back. So that is the swindle my infamous twin brother has planned. What I'm afraid of now is that Rashid might return the mummy to Miss Grosvenor today. And if he does, Miss Grosvenor's going to be so grateful she'll probably give him the money right then and there. Well, surely the telegram Laurel is sending her husband now will prevent that from happening. No, it won't, Ahmed. Because Lolly can't say anything to Dick about finding you, the real Ahmed, here in New York. He'd go to his mother and tell her, and Miss Grosvenor would never believe him when she found out that I had something to do with it. You mean she might give the money to Rashid, even though you had warned her? Well, I don't know whether she'd do that or not, but she'd be pretty sure to tell Rashid about it. The next thing that'd happen is he'd skip town and we'd never get the mummy back. We just got to get there ourselves in time to keep that from happening. Tell me, madame, how do you suppose my brother ever found out about the mummy in the first place? 
Well, do you remember that morning in Washington when you and me was having breakfast together in the restaurant at the hotel and Miss Grosvenor came by to take you to a thing she called a, a morning musical? Yes, yes, I remember. And do you remember I noticed a man that had been standing behind those palms right next to our table? Yes. Well, that man was Rashid, and he heard everything we said. So it was Rashid, then, who eavesdropped behind the palms that morning. Well, that's the only way he could have found out about the mummy and the reception and all the rest. But there was one thing Rashid didn't know about when he came to take me to the reception. If I hadn't been so dumb, I'd have caught him then. What was that, madame? Do you remember that you'd promised Miss Grosvenor you'd come to the reception that night in your Arab robe? Why, yes, yes, of course. Well, Rashid didn't come in Arab robes like you promised you would. He didn't know about that because we didn't talk about that in the dining room. Ah, yes, you might have discovered his deception right away. Yes. Well, Mommy, I hope you didn't think Mr. Munn and I were lost. Oh, did you get your telegram off to Dick, Lolly? Yeah, she sure did, Stell. Fellow there at the counter said it'd be delivered in less than an hour. Mm, I sure wish we could get to Washington that fast, Ed. Ahmed, I... I guess this will be a very painful trip for you. Oh, no, Laurel. It will not be painful if I can succeed in undoing the harm my twin brother has done. Did Mommy tell you he tried to make it look as if she was the thief? Oh, Lolly. What is this? Oh, Lolly, you shouldn't have told Ahmed that. Oh, I'm sorry, Mommy. Yes, Laurel, you must tell me. Please go on. Your mother was trying to spare my feelings, but I have a right to know these things. I think you have too, Ahmed. What Rashid did was to steal some laurel leaves from my mother's corsage and put them in the mummy case after he'd stolen the mummy. So it would look as though she had stolen it. Ah, this is the final degradation. Madame Dallas, I'm going to send the police to capture my brother's accomplice here in New York. But, Ahmed, if the police get hold of Jeff Cantrell, they're sure to get Rashid, too. That is exactly what I wish. Oh, no, you don't. No, I don't care about Rashid, Stell. But I'd sure feel a lot better if Jeff Cantrell was where he couldn't get at me. What do you mean, Mr. Munn? Well, Cantrell's going to be plenty sore when he finds somebody let Sheik Ahmed out of that flat this morning. And the one he's going to blame is me. Because it was my flat, and I'm the only one besides him who's got a key. Oh, you don't have to worry about Cantrell no more, Ed. He's going to be too scared of being arrested to do anything except warn Rashid and get out of sight as quick as he can. He couldn't possibly know that we aren't putting the police on his trail. Yeah, he'll figure the police are after him, all right. But that's all the more reason he'll want to get me out of the way. I'm a witness against him. Oh, Mr. Munn, that's horrible. I think it is best, Madame Dallas, that I call the police. Oh, no, Ahmed, don't do it. You'd regret it all your life. Say, Stell, why don't you let me come to Washington with you? Well, there ain't any reason why you've got to go to Washington, Ed. It'd be different if you were the only witness against Cantrell, but you're not. All of us are witnesses. Oh, now let me come, Stell. I know Cantrell will find me if I stay in New York. I know he will. Ed, if I thought you were in any danger, I'd make you go with us. Yeah, and I'm telling you, he'll he'd try to kill me, Stell. You don't know him like I do. He'll find me and try to get me knocked off. Oh, Mommy, we've got to let Mr. Munn come with us. Well, all right, Ed, if it'll make you feel easier in your mind. But honest, I think you just got a case of the jitters. No, it ain't that, Stell, but this Cantrell's a... He, he's awfully bad medicine. Well, then you better come along, Ed. Oh, thanks, Stell. I knew you wouldn't go back on me. Well, that's our train. Come on, Lolly. Come on, Ahmed, Ed. And let's hope we get to Washington in time to catch Rashid. Now it is five hours later, and the train has arrived in Washington. Laurel has gone home with Dick, who met the train, and Stella, Sheik Ahmed, and Ed Munn are now entering the lobby of Ahmed's hotel. If only we're not too late. 
I don't know what we're going to do if Tantrell's warned Rashid while we were on the train from New York. Let us not despair, madame, until we know for certain. Hey, but Stell, how are we going to get into this Rashid's room? Ed, don't you see? Ahmed rented the room in the first place before his twin brother started impersonating him. Oh. Nobody knows anything about Rashid here at the hotel. Everybody thinks he's Ahmed. Uh-huh. So if you go over to the desk clerk, Ahmed, he'll give you the key to your room. You're right, Madame Dallas. I will get the key now. Yes, Sheikh Ahmed? I would like the key to my room, please. But, Sheikh Ahmed, I, I don't understand. You only checked out of the hotel a half hour ago. What? What is that? Oh, uh, Sheikh Ahmed thinks he left something behind his room. Oh, yes, yes. So if you'll be good enough to let me have the key. Oh, I... certainly, Sheikh Ahmed. I hope you'll find what you want. So do I. Here's your key, sir. And if you don't find what you're looking for, please report it to me. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Come on, Ahmed. Oh, there's an elevator. Yes, Madame Dallas. Step on it, Ed. Yeah, sure. I'm with you, Stell. Um, 15th floor, please. So, Rashid checked out half an hour ago. Well, maybe we're too late after all. You think this Cantrell man warned my brother already? Well, it looks like he may have, Ahmed. Else why would Rashid have checked out the quick? I told you Cantrell's a slick customer. Uh, which way is your room, Ahmed? Uh, right over here, Mr. Mont. If Rashid had to light out quick, he might have left something that'll give us a clue. One moment. I'll open the door. Uh, let me switch on the lights. He's gone, all right. There's nothing here. No. I was afraid of this. Cantrell must have found out you'd escaped, Ahmed, and warned Rashid. And the only way we could have kept all this from the police was to have gotten the Egyptian mummy back from Rashid. And now it's too late. We've missed him by half an hour. Stella misses Rashid by half an hour. Did Rashid check out because his accomplice Cantrell warned him that his twin brother Ahmed had been rescued? What hope has Stella of recovering the missing Egyptian mummy and preventing a scandal which will involve everyone? Don't miss tomorrow's dramatic developments in this sequel to Stella Dallas. And you're listening to KWUR 90.3 FM, Clayton. This is the Kworth Theater of the Air, and now we're going to go over to David for a short message. We sure are. All right, let me just choose one. Out of that chair, imposter! <gasps> There are two of you, David. No, don't look at that man. Look at me, Dave. I'm looking at you. Look at me. Now look at him. You look exactly the same. Uh, I don't know who that guy is. Over, let me go. Put me down. And stay out. <sighs> Hi, Dave. Hi, David. I see you've met my uh, evil twin, Devad. That was your evil twin all along? Yes. O-M-G. This entire episode, Devad had me tied up in the listening room just next door. I was bound with, with really, really thick rope, but I happened to have a, a nail file with me, as I generally do, and during the course of the episode, I sawed through it. Wow, David. Well, I sawed through my restraints, and then I escaped... 
and then I booted Devon out of here. I had no idea. Yeah. If, if only I'd known. I feel horrible that entire time. I was, I was bantering and and laughing with your evil twin. It's okay. Will we ever see him again? Probably. Well, here's here's the key. Here's the here's the difference. See how clean shaven I am? Yes. Baby face. Yes. Yeah. Here, let he me had... let me touch. Oh, oh, that's nice. Same. That it, it's like a. It's it's like a, a shaved weasel's bottom, something like that. And uh, you'll you'll notice that Divad had a very very full goatee. That's generally the indicator that someone's an evil twin. Oh, I I thought I didn't want to be rude. I didn't want no, to say no, anything okay. uh, because you'd grown that kind of grody looking goatee. <laughs> well, that, I, I mean I, I appreciate that, but but I would never grow goatee. I'd look like a a toolbox with a goatee. You'd look like a tool shed. Yeah, I'd look like a tool show. I'd look like Home Depot. You'd look like, uh, I was going to say Lowe's. Lowe's? All right, where were we? You want me to read a public service announcement? Do it. All right. Why not? Seeing as you're, as you're back with us. Oh, man, that guy's a jerk. He is. All right. When it comes to having money, don't rely on luck. Brown bag it to work instead of ordering in. For free ideas on how to save, go to feedthepig.org. All right, so how much of the episode did I miss? All, all of it. What? We're... We're done. We're In done? fact, I'm about to... You hear that? Yeah. You hear that? I'm playing the music. Oh, that hurts my heart. Was it a good episode? It was a pretty good episode. So, okay. Uh, so it was, wasn't a... we, we did an Egyptian theme. Okay. And we propagated uh, a number of wild inaccuracies about ancient Egypt. Oh, hey. Devad wrote down uh, credits. Oh, uh, might as well read them. All right. Okay. The, the Schnorrer of Giza. Uh, this week starred Josh Delman, Louise Smythe, and David Reinstrom. Uh, and the Monsoon Season Chronicles were written, directed, acted, and produced by Alex Jensen, David Brunel Brutman, and David Reinstrom. Peter McConnell provided our opening music, and this closing music was provided by Mark O'Connor. Our set designer this week was Ptah, the god of craftsmen. Our social outreach coordinator was Hathor, cow-headed goddess of fertility. And our mortuary services director was Anubis, the jackal-headed god of the dead. Uh, good guy, actually yeah. very personable. Yeah, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it. No, but he—he's a real, you know, he's dedicated to his job. He said to me once, he's uh, dedicated to to uh, taking people's souls to the land of the dead. But he's not a jerk about it. No, he's got a—he's got a very weird sense of humor, though. He said to me once, you know, he said, "You know how I stay so youthful and sprightly, Dave?" And I said, "No, how?" And he said. I keep the heart... Uh, oh, no. I have the heart... Oh, I screwed it up. Good work. I have the heart of a 12-year-old boy. I keep it in a jar by my desk. You know what? I... Look, I was I was tied up the whole the whole show. No, it's fair. You're you know, tied up. You're I, tied up. Uh, and... uh.